0: you care if you're carrying those with you this morning, to Ephesians chapter 5. We are back in Ephesians after a couple of weeks away. Uh, it felt like coming home this week to be back in uh, Ephesians and it felt pretty good, I must tell you. Uh, looking forward to getting back into Ephesians, and this lesson in particular is very timely, I think, talking about walking in love, talking about walking in the light. Especially since we changed the clocks last night, have a couple of other things to mention here. Uh, I don't know if these got mentioned. I was I was trying to uh, pay special attention, but uh, Wes is going to be looking for bell ringers for the Salvation Army again. He will have his book next Sunday. That's always a blessing and a wonderful opportunity to see people and witness to people at Sam's Club. That's our, our spot again this year, so be prepared to uh, sign up and uh, uh, bless folks in a special way there. Also, we provide food boxes for the Department of Children and Families at Thanksgiving time. Our class does. Uh, we'll be doing that again this year in just a couple of weeks. So uh, Thanksgiving is soon upon us and we'll uh, we'll share more about that uh, coming up next Sunday. Believers, we are to imitate God. Anybody ever remember a time in your life when you had a child that uh, uh, maybe you were unaware that they were watching you very closely, but all of a sudden they would say something uh, that you have a tendency to say, or they would do something that you have a tendency to do, and then all of a sudden you were shockingly aware that they were watching you? Can I get a witness? Yeah, we've all done that. You ever see a situation where you go somewhere and you see a child and they, they just are like a spitting image of their father or their mother. You don't shop at Walmart? Yeah. yeah. But you will see them in their actions and their mannerisms and the way they speak and the phrases that they use are a complete imitation, a complete mimic of what they see at home. Jan and I were talking about that uh, uh, this week and. We saw a kid throwing a tantrum and throwing things, and she said, do you suppose they see that at home? Where do they get that? You know? And uh, a lot of times that's the case. We see things and we imitate those things. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is going to encourage the believers to imitate God, to seek God constantly uh, to win the lost and to imitate him in word and deed and action and mannerism and attitude and gratefulness and thankfulness and to witness verbally, and to be outgoing, and to be undergirded by that uh, godly power and that Christian lifestyle. And as folks that are to uh, imitate and are to to believe, we are to do that in a mighty and special way. And in Ephesians today, it is pointed out so clearly. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 5, he says this, as for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, uh, and fulfill your ministry. Finish strong is what he is saying in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and 5. Gate, G-A-I-T, gate is a word that you don't hear used a lot in, uh, in common language anymore. You know what the word means. I know what the word means. Maybe you'll hear it when you go to a doctor's office once in a while. Or maybe you'll hear it in the medical profession from time to time. But uh, the gate is a movement of a person's limbs while in motion as they are walking. My guess is that the majority of you who have been married like 63 years, you could see your spouse walking down a dark alley and know that's them or not by the way they walk. By their gate, by the way they move. Likewise, a person's life is to have a spiritual gate. A Christian is to have a spiritual gate. In the experience of a follower of Christ, it, is, it determines whether Christ's love and character are demonstrated in our life and are, um, uh, or are, are obscured in our life. The way that we walk, we are to have a Christian gate. We are to carry ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. The man that taught this Sunday school class before me, a couple of people back, Phil Van Huser, used to say that when he would walk out of the house, Crow, what did his mother always say to him? Do you remember? He, she would say, remember who you are. Remember who you are. What does that mean? What does remember who you are mean? Remember who you represent. Remember who you are and your family. Don't, don't uh, forget who you are. Don't forget your training. Don't forget what you believe to be right or wrong. As Christians, we are to remember who we are. Worship in the Roman world was much different than what Paul was preaching and uh, 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 trying to convict these folks about. Worship in the Roman world was completely cycling and circling around in this diverse uh, melting pot, cycling and circling around uh, the gods, And the human traits of mankind, nature, weather, everything that occurred, occurred because of these gods in their minds. If it stormed, if the wind blew, they believed that they had made such and such a god mad. If they were sick, they believed that they were not in good favor with such and such a God. If they uh, food was short and they had a famine, they believed that that all was due to their behavior. To a degree, it was karma, if you know what that word means. In their minds, it was karma for how they had treated their gods, their passion, their lust, their love, their jealousy, their anger, their hate, their love. All of that had to do with their gods into this Paul comes in and he says no 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 the people of Ephesus are not going to live that way that is the opposite of the way that we live first of all we don't have multiple gods we have one true God and we worship and we serve that God they loved Artemis we've talked about Artemis Diana and they loved Artemis they loved Diana and it was so amazing because they had a huge festival every year for artemis and people came from all over the place and it was uh, extravagant they brought extravagant offerings to to artemis and they had uh, huge dancing festivals and music festivals and uh, uh, tens of thousands of people would come and they would come back to the temple on that particular week when i was a young man i was in high school and the pope came to iowa i know i don't get it why iowa To the middle of these cornfields, the Pope came, and literally millions of millions of people came from all over the world. They came to see the Pope. And I remember thinking the population of Iowa at the time was like 1.8 million, and the population of the Pope's visit was like 2.5 million people. And I remember thinking, that is amazing that this man can come, and he can draw millions of people from all over the world. Hotels 400, 500 miles away were booked up. It was just a crazy thing. And so this Artemis festival in its day was just as famous and popular. People came to worship this god, this goddess, and to bring extravagant offerings and to bring and pay those to the temple. This made the temple so wealthy, it was more wealthy than any other financial institution. In fact, if you wanted a loan for a business, you would go to the temple. If you wanted to deposit and withdraw money... You would go to the temple. It was not only your temple and your place of worship, it was your financial, financial institution. Not sure I can find that anywhere in here where that is supposed to be the case, but that's what happened. So as Paul continued his message to the Ephesians in chapter 5, he seemed to react against those who claimed to be converted to Christianity but clung heavily. this previous life, clung to these previous gods and goddesses and that way of life. They were immoral. They were greedy. They were into pagan worship. They did not just worship one God that is so counter-Christian. And Paul encouraged them to imitate God, not only to worship God, but to imitate God. And by doing so, they would leave behind this, this immoral lifestyle, these impure practices in the temple in, in uh, Ephesus, and they would uh, uh, not be given into greed and lust. And uh, pro- you know, they had prostitutes in the temple. Not only would you go there for a loan, but you would go there for prostitution. That's how immoral these people were living, so counter-Christian, so counter-cultural to what Paul was suggesting. So we're going to pick up the first couple of verses here in chapter 5, and we're going to see Paul begin to pour into these people's lives. Uh, My translation here and my translation here are significantly different. I like this translation better, but uh, somebody grab verses 1 and 2 for us, if you would. Do I see a hand? Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Fred. This particular translation is the uh, New Living Translation, and here's what it says, and I love this. Follow God's example in everything you do because you are his dear children. Isn't that nice? That's verse 1. Live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ who loved you and gave himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins, and God was pleased because that sacrifice was like sweet perfume to him. That's what he was telling these folks. That's what he's telling these people who were uh, uh, going to their home house of worship for prostitution and f- they were f- financially immoral and they were just not walking in God, not walking in love. They were pagans. Once again, Paul used a present imperative here, stressing that this should be an ongoing pursuit for the believer. When we try to imitate God, it is not a destination. It is an ongoing journey. The cows never stay milked. It is something we will always have to do. And these Ephesians had already experienced the perfect example in their lives of how Christ loved them. They were blessed to have firsthand witnesses still living in life who had walked with Jesus, who could tell them of Jesus' life and his love and his sacrifices. Jesus gave himself for them they knew it there were eyewitness people who could share that with them and the ultimate demonstration of love was Jesus laying down his life on that cross for sinners on the cross when your day isn't a bed of roses just remember who wore the thorns Jesus Christ did that for us and his death was more than a good example It made it possible for all people, for you and I today, to experience salvation and people through the ages. Eternal life is only possible through Jesus Christ's death and our decision at that crossroad. And Paul was describing Jesus' death in a couple of ways here. If you look at that verse here, the second verse, you'll see it. He described it as sacrificial and he described it as a fragrant offering, a perfume, beautiful to the smell to these people. And Paul encouraged his readers to remove themselves from any activity or group that displayed behavior contrary to God's character, God's sacrifice, God's sweet smell, and his loving walk through life. Let's grab verses, um, why don't we put three, four, and five together? There, there's a lot here to, uh, to look at, but somebody grab three, four, and five if you would. Thanks, Ange. All right. Thanks, Angie. I already mentioned the prostitution thing, but uh, this society in which Paul was preaching, talking, writing, uh, accepted uh, adulterous relationships, uh, incest, temple prostitution, homosexuality, none of those behaviors would have been off limits, would have been considered uh, taboo in their society. Those were all things that were accepted. And while he doesn't laundry list those things, that's exactly what he was speaking about when he provides this list of things that are prohibited in verse 3. Paul also encouraged believers to avoid greed. He knew the damage that greed could uh, uh, bring into, the cancer that it could bring into any kind of a situation, a family situation, a work-related situation, a worship situation, greed, Creates problems and Paul realized it and Paul cautioned the Christians to be careful with the heart when it came to money Be careful with your heart when it comes to money and then he lists a couple of different types of speech here that were inappropriate This was a little tough time uh, for me this week because I have a tendency to uh, have a biting tongue and so he says uh, you should just stay clear of obscene and foolish talking obscene filthy talking that's not necessarily a problem with me but uh but i love to uh you know have a little edge to me when i you know if you take a ding at me i'll take a ding back at you and uh, i had great experience and great uh, leadership there from my father in that regard he could cut you as quick as you know a knife uh, with his tongue and crude joking there's another thing, you just say something silly, inhumane, degrading to someone as opposed to building someone up, you, uh, you pull them down, that is not Christian, it's vulgar, it's shameful, uh, the, the speech patterns are not something that we want to do, we want to be known as people who encourage, be known as people who uh, are behind people, have their back always there for them and giving thanks, we want to be known as an attractive people. That people want to be around because you always walk away feeling better. Anybody have somebody in your life that you know that when you Cornette Durkin, you see them and you you, uh, feel better? Just because they're an uplifting and encouraging person? Well, that's what we're supposed to do. Cut out the harsh talk, be encouraging, and be uh, pure in that regard. Verses 6 and 7 say, Let no one deceive you with empty argument, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. Do not become their partners. Paul explained his warning by reminding his reader that God's wrath is coming. We will all pay for whatever it is that we have done. And the verb in the Greek is the future tense, indicating a final and future date with God's wrath because of the things that we have done. We will pay that price, and we must do it. These were not Christians who had fallen into sin, but those who had never experienced God's forgiving grace in their life to begin with. He is not suggesting in any of this today, and we need to remember this, That he is not suggesting that if you have some kind of a, a sexual immorality, that you have lost your salvation, or if you are a crude joker, that you have lost your salvation. He is not saying that, but he is calling the Ephesians to separate themselves from the lifestyles of unbelievers. That doesn't mean we're not to live with them meaning uh, live in their world and uh, 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 associate with them otherwise we couldn't do what he says in second timothy 4 5 and that is fulfill your ministry if we got into our own little pods and did not get out into the world and and associate with those kinds of people we could not lead others to christ verses 8 through 10. we're beginning to talk about the lightness here and i know our time is short and i want to i want to get into this as best we can here because Um, Gwen's story is just such a, a great example of what's going on in our world today we see people who we believe are one thing on the outside and on the underside they're really hurting and we don't know that but also on the other side of that if we are that person we need to exhibit that we need to let someone know. We need to have a buddy system so that at 1 o'clock in the morning, if you're feeling down and depressed and like you're worthless in this world, you have somebody you can pick up the phone, and they'll put a pot of coffee on and sit with you and talk to you. Yes? Yes. Okay. So look at uh, somebody grab verses 8, 9, and 10 for me here. 8, 9, and 10 if you would. Somebody have it? Hey, Dave, thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Dave. It's interesting to note here. He says this. Note that Paul does not say here that they were in darkness, but that they were darkness. Read that. You'll see it right in there. They were by nature dark and absent from the light of the Lord. That is what they were before they came to know Jesus Christ and came into the light from darkness in their lives. After their coming to Christ, Paul could describe his readers as light in the Lord. Are you light in the Lord? Are you carrying the candle of the Lord wherever you go? Our behavior should match our new identity. Remember who you are. As you walk out that door, remember who you are. And then he says the fruit of the life. This is a unique expression to Paul, but it's not the only time he mentioned fruit in the context of changed behavior, now is it? There's another place in Galatians chapter 5, I believe. Jack, what's it say? Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, manifested in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against these things, there is no law. There you go. He's my fruit of the spirit go-to guy. I can always turn to Jack and he'll have that. A changed life by Christ himself will, will show three strong characteristics. Are you ready for them? They're spelled out right here. Your life will produce goodness because God is good. Your life will produce righteousness and consist of righteousness because God is righteous. And your life on the third one will be what? It will show what? Truth, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Those are the fruits that your life will uh, display when you are fully invested in God. So how then are Christians to live out the changes that have been brought into our lives at conversion? And Paul answered that question too, encouraging the Ephesians and us today to do a self-examination of our lives. Do you ever do a heart check at home? You take your car in for an oil change every uh, 3,000, 5,000 miles, whatever it is now. Do you ever do the same for your heart? Do you test your heart against these principles and against this way of life, making sure that you are approved and that you hold up to God's standards? Paul told these Roman people who were converting but were so steeped in all of this other grossness that when God renewed their minds, they would be able to test and approve what the Lord's will was in their lives. That's what he says in Romans chapter 12. The goal of testing our lives is not to find failure, but to find success. The goal of testing our lives is not to find failure, but to find success. All of those years when I would sit with Air Talent and listen to their air check tape of what they did on their show, I didn't sit there listening for what they did wrong. I sat there listening for what they did right. By doing that, it was easier to teach people, do more of this... And less of that, encourage them to do more that is right. If we examine our lives on a regular basis, we will become habitual in the things that we do. If we hold ourselves to a true and righteous standard, we will become more habitual with the good things and less habitual with the bad things. It's just going to happen. Verses 11 through 14 as we prepare to close here. Somebody grab these, talking about moving forward in the light. Somebody have them? Dan. Thanks, Den. Connie. Actions do speak louder than words. In fact, Kerry's got a little tagline on his uh, his email that he sends out all the time, and what's it say, Kerry? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody'll know what you. Nobody'll care what you know until they. Know what you care, nobody will know how much you know until they know how much you care. Actions speak louder than words. We can say we care and we love and we're there, but if we don't really do it, then we're not. And summarizing these verses that Den just shared, Paul encouraged Christians not to participate in the fruitless work of the darkness, not to invest in that, to invest in the light. While light produces fruitful things such as goodness, righteousness, and truth, darkness produces fruitless things. Anybody's parents ever tell you, nothing good ever happens after midnight? Ever? Anybody sit there at night and be so depressed and when you wake up the next morning, it looks like there's a brand new world. Uh, darkness is not a good thing. Darkness is, uh, I guess it is a good thing or God wouldn't have made it. But it's not certainly good for our mental health and our, uh, much of anything. But hiding from darkness does not drive it away. Only light will drive the darkness away. Only light drives the darkness away and instead of participating in the works of darkness the Christian should expose those works this is a result of light penetrating darkness in our lives and when light arrives it inherently exposes the darkness the word for expose can also be translated as rebuke your light in your life will rebuke the darkness of the world if your light is jesus christ Seems odd at times to think about that, especially in a society in which Paul was speaking to these people, but you know that they, when they sat down at night, realized they were living in a world of darkness, and Paul was preaching a brand new message to these folks. And though Paul encouraged Christians not to speak of shameful things, this does not mean that God looks the other way and does not see those when evil deeds occur and they're exposed by the light, then all things become visible. Just talking about sin will not bring, uh, bring about the intended result. That darkness of sin must be exposed by the light in our lives and by the light of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And the only way to expose the darkness in our lives and in the world is to let the light shine. Folks, we don't know who's walking in darkness right now spiritually or mentally, physically, we don't know. That video that's out there that Chick-fil-A shows to their managers, it's an amazing video, and I'll share it with you soon. I've shared it with you before, but it just goes around a Chick-fil-A restaurant and shows the various people in a Chick-fil-A restaurant, and it says it gives a little caption for each person in the restaurant. And it talks about something in their life. This man uh, just recently lost his wife, and today would be their 50th wedding anniversary, so on. And it says, every life has a story if you slow down long enough to read it. Do you know the story of your neighbor's life? Your spouse's life? Your brother? Do you know their story? Do you know where they're walking? A lot of times in our world, there'll be people that will bite I don't know if you've seen it. Somebody will be nasty to you, mean to you, or whatever. My guess is is that hurting people hurt others and they are dying inside. And they'll lash out at you or me or whomever. Don't lash back out at them. Show them the light. Break through that darkness. Emphasize the love of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that buddy, you better find yourself a buddy. If you are that buddy for you, Bless you for doing that. But we need to be able to share with one another our feelings. As opposed to picking up the paper someday and seeing your obituary in there. Because you couldn't handle it. We need to be able to share that stuff and without hesitation and without embarrassment. Jesus Christ is our light in this world. The emphasis of what Paul was saying in this hymn was that these folks had risen from the dead way of life to a brand new way of life in Jesus Christ where he began to shine on them and through them. Believers expose sin humbly in our world through our actions and our deed and our words and our willingness to be there for one another. But only Christ has the power to wake people folks from the dead and be that light. It's not going to be you or me being the light for somebody who's suffering through darkness. It's going to be Jesus. Let's not forget it. Let's reach out and let's expose that darkness in our own little circles and ultimately in our world through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your message. Most importantly, thank you for uh, the, the salvation that you have provided for us for all mankind. We love you. We praise you as we celebrate thanks this month. Allow us to just sit down and look at things that we are grateful for every day, starting with you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.